Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hola, 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 hola. Don't interrupt me, por favor. ¿Cómo estamos, chavales? Good, no? Hola, Guillermo Fesser. Hola, Lisa Button. Hi, Hola, Nick Liber. Hola, Enrique. ¿Qué tal? Enrique, ¿cómo estás? No, es no lo decimos al estilo sin español acento, de acento. Sin acento. No, ni Acevedo, ¿no? Como sin lo acento. Sino Acevedo, ¿cómo lo decimos? Don't interrupt me, por favor. Eh, me encanta el título del show. Eh, no, Acevedo está bien, Enrique. Mira, mientras no eh, hagan el, el butcher de Enrico, Enrique, Enrique. Todo está Enrique. perfecto. Oh, oh, gosh. Ya estoy acostumbrado. No, se vale incluso también butcher de tenis. That's fine. Enrique, eh, Estados Unidos, por supuesto, tu carrera está aquí. Eh, eres Estados Unidos, pero... ¿Pero naciste en México? Nací en México eh, y he vivido mi vida entre los dos países. En realidad, soy producto de NAFTA. Okay. <ríe> eh, soy parte de esa generación, en serio. De, de, de... Generación NAFTA, qué bueno. Generación eh. NAFTA. Hace nombre. mucho hubo una portada ahí de Time Magazine. Y crecí con, con la idea de, de tener eh, la mayor cantidad de sneakers y de Butterfingers y de nerds en, en, de los dulces ¿no? americanos uh -huh. que no teníamos en México, increíblemente, a pesar de la cercanía. Y del de primer... ¿Y cómo, ¿Cómo sobrevivieron sin es eso? Es increíble. Tenemos que usar tamarindos y todos los pulparindos y todos los este, Tootsie Pops que venían de México. No, <risa> eh, eh, vivíamos esta idea de, de, de cercanía con Estados Unidos, de una herencia muy pesada en la relación bilateral, muy negativa. Y empezamos a tener una dinámica muy distinta eh, en esta generación, ¿no? Y, y el primer McDonald's en México, y había filas y filas y filas de de gente, de autos afuera, tratando de probar eh, un poco de la cultura americana. Y nada, así, así crecimos entre los dos países. Y luego me vine a vivir muy joven a Texas, a los 12 años. Yo estudié en middle school en, en Texas. ¿En dónde? En Houston. Ah, ok. Y started en uno de esos ESL programas, mm -hmm. you know, de English as a mm -hmm. second language. Creo que cuando él llegó dijeron, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> y ahí viene yeah. la frase. It got, it got worse, actually, yes. But it's interesting because, you know, I would, go to, I, I would go to school like every other kid in the morning and they would uh, put us on buses and then take us to other schools. And I, by we, I mean all the kids who didn't speak English as a first language. Mm. And we would go to another school, and, and then we would hang out there for most of the morning, taking English lessons. Um, and as you can hear, it didn't work out that well. Oh, but uh, wow. I'm still trying to, to polish the, yeah, I would say so. the, 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 the language. And, um, and it was a great experience, and that's how I grew up, between both countries and two realities. And, and um, for a while now, I, I mean, for a while there, I, I thought it was going to work out that the relationship between Mexico and the United States and everything that has to do with that very dynamic, very diverse relation um, was going to just get better. But unfortunately, in the last couple of years, it hasn't. So um, I just hope that uh, things change course soon. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, uh, things go up and down, right? But I, uh, sí. Pero sí que es triste cuando uno lo tiene tan cerca, ¿no? Porque efectivamente eh, son dos realidades tan 
tan importantes ya, los dos lados de la frontera. ¿Y ¿Dónde está la frontera? Si es que se mezcla todo tanto, ¿no? Son tres realidades, diría yo. no La mexicana, la americana y la de la frontera. Mm. Porque es la de la frontera, seguramente, como platicamos eh, fuera de los micrófonos, de eh, conocidos en común como Alfredo Corchado uh -huh. y gente que ha vivido toda su vida en la frontera, es una realidad completamente distinta. Y esa sí es una realidad bicultural, ¿no? Eh, bilingüe. Eh, no en un tema de, de espacios de tiempo, sino en cada minuto. Sí, eh. esa es una región que para mí siempre he pensado, ¿por qué es que, que los que periodistas, cuando hacen entrevistas en la frontera, no están hablando con gente en ambos lados? A mí me parece que siempre que escucho algo es que han hablado, es en la frontera, pero es en un lado de la frontera. Correcto. Uh -huh. Y son 12 millones de personas que viven en ambos lados de la frontera, la comunidad fronteriza, la línea, ¿no? Como le llaman sí. los locales. Sí. Y entre más tiempo he pasado cerca de la frontera, más aprende uno a querer la frontera y, y a entender la perspectiva tan única y el contexto tan único que tiene esta, esta población. And we were talking about the environment a bit earlier too, and I did a lot of reporting there uh, in the borderlands on the environment. And, you know, you can, you can have a political division there if you want, but the animals, you know, their wildlife corridor just goes right through. They don't know. They don't know that there's supposed to be a border. No, but, but, but of course, and, 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 you know, we can talk about immigration and we can talk about border security and all the issues that are part of this hyper-polarized, uh, hyper-partisan uh, uh, political dynamic right now in the country. But uh, certainly the environment has been, uh, you know, the most affected uh, in, in this whole division between one and the other country and, and, and border communities that were once very dynamic, that were once thriving. They've had to um, deal with this militarization and, and the cost that has had for, for those um, communities. So it's, in a way, uh, a shame. Uh, you know, the whole country in Mexico and in the U.S., both countries talk about the border like it's something they know. But you just have to talk to people yeah. that live there to realize that we really don't and know. And especially a lot of the border is water. And, you know, you will think people will learn how to share that water. Water is life for both sides of the border. Uh, and it's so important. And, and it flows and, freely. And if, well, it used, it used to flow. Because well, unfortunately, it flow so exactly. Right unfortunately, right. you see how everybody's doing their own policy. And at the end of the day, the river is going to the So dog. many issues, right? It's amazing. So many issues. When we talk about Mexico and the U.S., It's everything. It's politics. It's culture. It's uh, environmental issues. It's it's just uh, never ending. It's cool. never it's never ending in a way, but another way is like, why is not happening? Because how many how much people? I mean, yeah, how many people love Mexico here? How many uh, Mexicans love the states? How many things are becoming so, you know, uh, commonly shared? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, ahora todo es trade y inmigración. Y bueno, desafortunadamente la agenda se está concentrando ahí. En ello estamos. ¿Y, ¿Y cómo lo explicas cuando, cuando recibas un WhatsApp de un amigo en México? ¿Cómo lo explicas lo, lo que está pasando aquí en la, al otro lado, aquí en, en Washington o aquí en Nueva York o aquí en, no en la frontera, sino en América o América Profunda? Es, es una muy buena pregunta porque la coyuntura en Estados Unidos a los mexicanos y la coyuntura en México a los estadounidenses. Mm. Creo que desafortunadamente, digo desafortunadamente por el tipo de clima en el que estamos viviendo, cada vez hay más coincidencias en ambos lados de la frontera sobre lo que está pasando. Entonces, ¿cómo lo explico? Bueno, trato de hacer el mejor trabajo posible porque, first, I think it's a fluid situation. I think it's even hard for Americans to explain what's happening in America right now. And, and I'm, I'm just an immigrant. In Mexico, it's, it's hard to explain what's going on in Mexico to Americans because we really don't know yet 
what's going to happen with this new government and, and, and the new dynamic of the bilateral relation and the impact that's going to have in pretty much every aspect of, of life uh, down south. So um, I just try to uh, not pay too much attention to the day's uh, uh, latest uh, you know uh, news but look at the forest instead of the tree and and hope for the best and I, my uh, granddad would say just hope for the best but prepare for the worst mm. and unfortunately um, if anyone has been following that advice it has been the the right advice for the times that we're living in um, we have to hope for the best uh, in terms of the, the the relationship between Mexico and the US between the US and the world but expect the worst because um, what we've seen so far is not encouraging you have a very interesting perspective, you know, a very wide-ranging perspective on what's happening in the world. Could you share with our listeners what, what a day might be for you or a week from one day to the next? Uh, so it's, it's fun right now because I have a two-year-old at home and a baby uh, that's due in August. So, uh, a lot of sleeping. Uh, weeks. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I live in a con- constant state of sleep deprivation. Uh, if I don't make any sense, I can just blame it on that. Uh, um, no, but um, you know when you say what a, uh, what it's like to 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 on a typical day to to be me. It's that I try to spend as much time as possible with my family because I know it's hard to do that, and it's going to be harder as the, the week progresses. Uh, just this week, I was in in DC on, on a we had a private uh, dinner with Jeff Bezos and uh, uh, two other. Did he pay? <laughs> no, with two other CEOs oh. eh, fue fantástico porque creo que era interesante tener la perspectiva de, de estos capitanes de empresa de estos líderes empresariales sobre temas como por ejemplo de la inmigración y muchos más los sin techo también ¿no? Lo, por supuesto esto fue parte de la discusión y aunque fue una discusión of the record es público que Amazon está invirtiendo en, en algunos esfuerzos en Virginia incluso en su nuevo headquarters en Seattle I think they're going to build a, a, a um, homeless shelter inside their new headquarters, which I think it's uh, creative and, and amazing uh, in many ways. Sí, porque algunos empleados lo van a necesitar, dado lo que les pagan. Sin duda, y mucha gente en la ciudad que se ha visto desplazada por lo que está pasando. Es, es una discusión muy, muy importante, muy importante porque, sinceramente, Guillermo, creo que if Mexico was the boogeyman in the last election, I think big tech is going to be, it's going to play that role in 2020. Okay. And Amazon is going to lead that, that list. So, They're uh, countries. They're not. They're not companies anymore. They're well, countries. Well, yeah. You, you look at Bezos' uh, net, net, net worth, and I think it's bigger than the I Mexican mean, I'm, economy. I'm, so I'm telling you, Spain, like the European well, Union, that, that, the European Union, the, they want an embassy in Amazon then, so, rather than an embassy so, in other countries. So, you know, so are, are you going to be moderating any any of the debates, and then a, you would be asking questions about this big tech? See, no, but but to answer your question, uh, so I was in DC this week in Mexico. Um, I was um, in, in. Well, we're here in New York right now. Uh, flying to Tapachula, Chiapas, um, this weekend to cover the the deployment of the National Guard. So, uh, you know, yeah, you get to to do a lot. I wish we could do we could stay longer and work these stories better. And we talked about that off the air too, uh, how journalism is changing. But uh, it's it's been crazy, and, and I I embrace the the chaos. Don't interrupt me, por favor. Estamos aquí, somos tres humanos: Lisa Button, Nick Liber, Guillermo Fesser. Enseguida volvemos. Hey, don't interrupt me, por favor, listener friends. Our friends over at Narratively just launched a podcast called Believable. Narratively, if you aren't familiar with it, publishes stories about humanity at some of its highest and lowest points. Believable, to me, is a smart addition to Narratively's written stuff. Believable's first episode is called Proof of a Forgotten Life. You can find it on the major podcast platforms and on Narratively.com. Let us know what you think. 
Dice, estamos hablando con Enrique, decimos que es Acevedo, pero no hemos dicho exactamente con qué Enrique Acevedo estamos hablando. Well, I think many of our listeners probably already do know who he is because they've seen him on television um, when they watch the nightly news. But nobody watches television anymore. They, I have to, I have well, to say okay. that to, to my okay. own demise. <laughs> okay, so they maybe they're watching it on their phone or they're listening Hopefully, to yes. it while they're working out or whatever. Yeah. That's yeah. what I think. No, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I need a job, so uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope people are, are watching TV. Univision, no? Univision, y bueno, sí, eh, trabajo eh, en, en la tele entre semana, hago dos noticieros ahí, uno para la cadena nacional, para Univision, y otro para la cadena de cable, para Unimás. Eh, además tengo, trato de mantener una presencia en medios escritos Que es donde empecé a hacer mi trabajo Una columna en México, escribo de repente para el Washington Post eh, Publicado en El País, en el New York Times En algunas revistas Y um, hago radio para NPR los viernes en el Political Roundtable de Here and Now Hago radio para... Don't interrupt me, por favor okay. right. <risa> los, los, los medios prestigiosos <risa> Los que, pagan, los que pagan muy Debería mejor. haber empezado por ahí sí. Déjame, me, por Ayúdame a entender una cosa eh, yo creo, pero te pregunto, ¿eh? no, no, no lo sé, pero tengo la impresión de que eh, en Estados Unidos se ve solo un, un México. Se ve el México de la gente más modesta, el México de la gente eh, emigrante por necesidad económica o por persecución, pero el, el México que sufre, eh, todos los países tienen un porcentaje de población que lo pasa mal y que sufre, eh, pero... Sabemos que México es un gran país, México es una potencia mundial, México que tiene clase muy educada, México que tiene clase empresarial, México que tiene una potencia enorme. Eh, esa gente está también en Estados Unidos, pero ¿dónde están? Eh, ¿Es que se han integrado en el mundo anglosajón y no han aparecido? O sea, ¿por qué no vemos ese México? Bueno, es muy interesante, ¿no? Creo que primero hay poco interés eh, en la agenda de medios, al menos, en cubrir no solamente México, sino Latinoamérica. Tal vez eh, es tan eh, limitado el enfoque como el que vemos de parte de la eh, política exterior estadounidense. Cuando se habla de América Latina, básicamente se habla de Cuba mucho, ¿no? Uh -huh. Todavía todavía hoy. Tanto no. Bueno, no tanto, pero sigue siendo un, una parte importante del, del, del enfoque de la política exterior, de la atención de los medios estadounidenses. Ahora se habla cada vez más de Venezuela ante la coyuntura y la terrible crisis humanitaria por la que atraviesa ese país. Y, y México, pues en el contexto de lo que vimos en la elección de 2016, cada vez de manera más negativa. Yo no solamente creo que hay una ofensiva contra la idea de la inmigración en Estados Unidos, creo que hay una ofensiva contra la imagen de México. No como un vecino, como un eh, strategic partner, un, un, un eh, important ally. Uh, I think more and more people see Mexico as an enemy, and that's... The, very, the bad hombre, right? The bad, the hombre bad hombres that, from Mexico. Mm. You know, the, the rapists, the criminals, some are good people, I guess, right? Um, and it's a shame. Uh, it's a shame because there's so much uh, that these two countries have in common. We, we said that in the last segment and, and so much that we share. Um, and, and people have to understand that Mexico is uh, not, not everything that I just mentioned, but so, so important to the U.S. national security, to U.S. The economic uh, well-being, to, to many things that, that are important to the, to the everyday lives of, of people in this country. So... Eh, ¿Por qué no vemos más del, del otro México? Sí, ¿dónde está? Eh, pues en el día a día, tratando de ser la, 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 la excepción, digo, tratando de ser la regla y no la excepción, ¿no? Uh -huh. El México pujante, el México de gente como la que vemos aquí. Hay cerca de, cada vez acaba de salir esta semana un estudio del Pew que dice cosas fascinantes. Primero, que hay menos indocumentados, que la población indocumentada en Estados Unidos, que siempre hemos dicho está alrededor de 11.7, 12 millones, es en realidad como 10, 10 y medio millones que en la población total hispana hay menos mexicanos de los que había antes porque hay ya un retorno 
de mexicanos más que un ingreso de mexicanos. Es decir, las condiciones de vida en México han mejorado al punto en el que mucha gente prefiere quedarse allá. Y esto es clave para entender el debate actual sobre inmigración. Porque si en México generamos condiciones suficientes para que la gente decidiera quedarse, que es lo que todos los inmigrantes queremos, Obviamente. permanecer en nuestros hogares y en nuestros países, Obviamente. Eh, también se puede hacer en Centroamérica ¿no? como una visión de largo plazo. Y es en donde estaría idealmente concentrada la atención, los recursos, la energía de este debate sobre inmigración, el, el que vemos hoy en la frontera con la llegada de, de familias centroamericanas. Pero bueno, eh, ese México pujante, ese México de gente trabajadora que llega aquí y se avienta dos, tres trabajos y están como pueden sacando adelante a sus familias allá y mandando dinero, pues es, es desafortunadamente eh, ignorado, creo, la mayor parte del tiempo. Y están gente como nosotros, en medios, en... En, en, en los tomadores de decisiones, en los power brokers, eh, to, to highlight that uh, Mexico is much more than just uh, what Pero pesa ese estereotipo, eh, a un mexicano le puede pesar ese estereotipo y por huir de ese estereotipo se olvida de que es mexicano o no, o estoy, sí, al, o bueno, estoy alucinando. No, claro. Eh, mira, hay tantas dinámicas que explican justamente creo que esa idea. Por ejemplo, eh, tenemos representación política ¿no? de hispanos o de la comunidad latina en Estados Unidos que siempre hablamos de hispanos y comunidad latina como si fuera una cosa, ¿no? Right. It's a monolithic community, not, right. not by any no. measure. You know, Hispanics are not, you know, so diverse and they come from so, so many different countries and realities and cultures, but um, political representation. I think we have four senators, right? Uh, we're 13, 14% of the population, and we have four out of uh, 100 senators. Um, and that is uh, Ted Cruz, who people could consider Cuban-American, It depends on your politics, probably. <laughs> And then Marco Rubio, Cuban-American. Uh, Bob Menendez, Cuban-American. Catherine Cortez Masto. She's not a, a you know, first-generation um, Latina. She's a, a, the daughter of a Mexican immigrant. But she's still you know, considered part of the Hispanic caucus. Aunque los mexicanos son 75% de la población latina en Estados Unidos, no tienen un solo senador. Los cubanoamericanos tienen tres. ¿Por qué? Bueno, porque hay toda esta idea de, de, de la que hablabas, Guillermo, eh, de, del mexicano viniendo aquí tratando un poco de esconder su background y, y que, queriendo adaptarse y queriendo olvidarse un poco lo que se dejó atrás eh, y, y, y al revés en otras comunidades, ¿no? Que lo que vienen es un poco a, a, a sembrar, no tanto a, a, desa, a, a diluirse en, 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 en la cultura estadounidense. Well, it's interesting that you bring up the idea of hiding your identity because we're gearing up for the 2020 census. And I know that Univision has a pretty, um, on their platform, on their website, they, they have, you know, stories about uh, taking part in the census. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, why, what's your position? Do you, do you think people who are here, who are undocumented, should take part um, sure. in the census? And why, you know, should they be worried with everything that's happening? What do you think? And just to add to the idea of hiding your identity, I understand why people do it. You know, when I was, we're talking about when I was a teenager and I was going to school in Texas, you know, people would call me a beaner, a wetback, whatever, just because I was Mexican. And I, and I have a pretty good, you know, I'm, I'm a very privileged person in, in, in every sense of the word. Um, and, and still, it, right now, I, I've become a little self-conscious about speaking Spanish in public spaces with my family. For example, right now in 2019. In 2019, uh, after you know uh, a couple of uh, uncomfortable situations, where probably because I'm on TV and sometimes I go on Fox News against all, all common sense, but um, people have come up to me and said pretty nasty things while I'm with my family in public spaces. 
So, you know, just to spare them the, the, the bad moment, I've, I've actually become a little self-conscious about voltearme con mi esposa y decirle, oye, mi amor, esto y lo otro, a ver, Emilio, no estés saltando al niño, ¿no? Porque you get dirty looks you know, en, en 2019, Nick. Y bueno, la parte del censo es terrible porque creo que forma parte de una estrategia integral, ¿no? Este crecimiento, the, the new phase of, 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 uh, of America, it's, it's, it's a challenge to, to some politicians, to, to some ideologies, and I think that's why we've seen this searching um, border suppression laws, you know, the, the, the issue of gerrymandering, it's very real. Texas, for example, I think it's, it's a great uh, case study. And, and now the issue of the census, where they're trying to basically um, disincentivize the participation of a segment of the population, so that could have a, a, a significant impact in our political, um, uh, the, the political design of, 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 of our map, right? So it's, it's a reality that most people are out of touch with because, you know, they, they, they don't see what's, what's going on in terms of this. Uh, deliberate effort to just uh, try to keep people from participating and because it's not convenient to, to one of the political forces. Es increíble porque no tiene sentido. Creo que los hispanos, sobre todo cada vez más los hispanos, porque nacen dos terceras partes de lo que conocemos como la población hispana, nació en este país ya. Y cada vez... Las tiene... dos terceras partes de lo que son las piernas y el tronco. La, la, la cabeza todavía está fuera. La cabeza todavía está fuera. <risa> el corazón. Pero... Eh, cada vez se comportan más como la población general. Esto quiere decir que hay una oportunidad ahí para los republicanos, para los conservadores. I think Hispanics are natural conservatives, especially on social issues. So, if, uh, you know, this could be a good debate. Pero sí, son, muy, son muy religiosos, son muy sí. trabajadores, son muy temerosos de hacer nada fuera y de es, casa y de beber, ¿no? Y, y querer sacar a esta población de, de, de la arena política me parece que es, es absurdo. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Eh, ¿en, qué, ¿En qué sentido puede cambiar eh, la realidad de Estados Unidos? La realidad de Estados Unidos es que no te diga nadie cuando te, vuel te volteas y le dices a tu hijo en español que no, por favor, que no pegue pataditas a los perros. Eh, ¿Cómo puede cambiar el hecho de que efectivamente cada minuto y medio, lo que sea, un nuevo latino cumpla 18 años, tenga derecho a votar porque ha nacido aquí en Estados Unidos? Bueno, es, es, va a ser un, es ya una, una, una realidad demográfica importantísima creo que es parte de las ansiedades, de, de las frustraciones que estamos viendo en un sector de la población, esta resistencia al cambio, esta resistencia a lo inevitable, ¿no? porque no solamente lo que va a pasar o un pronóstico de estos aburridísimos de en 2075, uno de cada dos estudiantes en el sistema educativo, no, es una realidad. Hoy por hoy, las comunidades en lugares donde además no lo veíamos, en Hazleton, en Pensilvania, en North Dakota, en Minnesota, en lugares donde no había antes latinos, están empezando a llegar a las comunidades y, y se han convertido en un factor de, 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 de reconexión, eh, son economías más vibrantes. Entonces, lo que creo es que va a ayudar mucho a, a, a distensar esta relación entre, entre eh, uno y otro 
lado del argumento. O sea, va a normalizar el hecho de que haya más, más latinos no. dentro that's de la comunidad. I, I hope, really Bu bueno, so. pero hace falta que los medios se dan cuenta, ¿no?, de, sí. de, de que esto está pasando. Y, y, I don't know, we are, for example, you know, I have a, like, as you can hear, a Mexican accent when I speak English, and in media, as a journalist, sometimes people are a little hesitant of letting me be on their shows or inviting me. It doesn't matter if you have great perspective or you can add value to, to the show or to the content. But if you have a British accent, it's fine. That's <laughs> yeah. completely uh, is, fine. Isn't that funny? Right? It's, you know, or a South African accent. Or a South African English, accent. Whatever. English, whatever. English, exactly. But if there's a Latin accent in there, it's like, ooh, maybe mm. people are thinking you're not qualified. Yeah. Mm. Like, yeah. Well, that's the big change I, now. The, the, <laughs> the generation we're talking about now, they're bilingual. They yes. speak English better than Lincoln. I mean, right? right? I mean, they're American, true and true. It's a difference. That's why the, 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 it changed the whole narrative. I mean, they're Americans who speak Spanish, or they know how to speak Spanish, but they're Americans. They're not foreigners anymore. Right. So that's, you know, when your neighbor, because, you know, when your neighbor is, is a foreigner, maybe it's a different story. When your neighbor is an American and speak two languages, how do you deal with that? Yeah, but being proficient in English as a, as a as like some sort of a parameter to... To qualify, oh, of course, you know, your, oh, of your, course. Your, I don't know your professional capacity oh. or whatever. I mean, maybe you can't pronounce a word in English right, but you can do it in five different languages. No, pero digo la, perce la percepción general de la gente en general. No, eh, en vez de decir, oh, es extranjero, ya no pueden decir eso. Por, ya ese prejuicio se terminó. No, no. existe. No. You, you want to? I want to. I want to ask you about journalism, about sure. who who influenced you. But you went to the Universidad uh, Tecnológico de Monterrey, correct? And you studied. What did you study there? Um, I, I was an international relations major. Okay. And then journalism happened right after? Yes. And, you know, the, just the money and the fame, they kind of attracted yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> really well paid. You know, don't interrupt me, por favor. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I, you know, I, during my, it wasn't my last semester, but close to that, um, I really wanted to experience what it was going to be like to work in the foreign service in Mexico. Because that's why I was an international relations major. Um, so I got an internship. I wrote letters and I faxed them. Yes, to those listening to this uh, Fax podcast. Fax, faxes so, existed by then. Los faxes existían. <laughs> no se llama fax, ¿no? Yo tengo otro que se llama fax Acevedo. Y bueno, I faxed those letters to, to Mexican embassies in Asia. I was super interested in Asia. Y, y de las cinco que mandé, una Malasia, una Japón, una Corea del Sur, una China y la otra a Singapur, me contestó el embajador de México en China y me dijo, los demás dijeron, estás loco, no, esto no se puede hacer, pasa al Ministerio de Relaciones Exteriores y hace una aplicación. Y el de China me dijo, claro, vente, no tenemos un peso que pagarte, pero si, si te puedes tú Así costear. Y mi, mi responsabilidad diaria, para responder tu pregunta, Nick, sobre el periodismo era, I would go to the Ministry of Information every morning and I would sit in the back uh, and I would kind of like write a, a summary of what was the, the news of the day for the ambassador and for the foreign ministry back in Mexico. Twitter, Twitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Twitter. Inventaste yeah. Twitter. Not in 140 characters. <laughs> and I, yeah. Lo cual no quiere decir que seas un pájaro, pero... <laughs> sí, I, I would have to speak to, to the folks at Twitter about that. Uh, bueno, anyway, so I would do that every day. And then you had the, like the foreign, like the senior foreign correspondents from all the news agencies and the newspapers who were covering China because it was the story, right? Back in 2000, that's when I was there. It was the story. So all these people with all this experience were there. And they would see this little kid in the back just writing notes. It's like, what are you doing here? People from EFE, from AP, from the New York Times. Y nada, I, I, I approached them and I explained what I was doing and I saw what they were doing. And I'm like, wait, 
you get paid to do this. <laughs> you get paid to, to, to be in the most interesting places where history is being written and you write that yeah. first draft. Yeah. Um, I mean, I want to do this. And they're like, yeah, well, let's go have a drink. I really want to do this now. <laughs> like, and so, yeah, that's how I, I started writing, uh, you know, uh, stories for Mexico as a freelancer. That's, that, that worked out really well. And then when I got back, I started working for the Grupo Reforma, the, the newspaper company in Mexico, and it took off from there. And there was a moment uh, in your journalism where you, where you really felt like this is for me. Can you talk about that moment? Well, I mean, you know, there, there, there have been a few. Especially, well, I guess there was more than one. Right, no, but, you know, <laughs> I started at, at the newspaper. I fell in love with journalism. And, and, and first I was offered a place in a, in a summer workshop as an as a aspiring reporter. And they said, if you do well in these next two months, we'll consider hiring you. And I got a couple of uh, front page stories during those two months as a workshop reporter because I you know, got to interview President Fox. I don't know how that happened, but I somehow <laughs> was able to sneak in and, and, and go undetected by the Mexican Secret Service, El Estado Mayor Presidencial, and I asked him a couple of questions. And anyway, so I got a job. And I fell in love with journalism. I would work seven days a week. Uh, during the, you know, the weekdays, I would do my job. And then on the weekends, I uh, co-edited the front page. And by co-editing, I said, I just, just get coffee for the guys in the... Uh. <laughs> um, just trying to help out and learn as much as I could. And, and then I realized, you know, I have to, to learn the, the, the craft. And, and, and I really want to be serious about it. So I applied to uh, the master's program at Columbia University here in, in, in New York. And somehow I, I, I fooled them too. And I was able to, to get into that program. And and that was, um, and that was yeah. I think that we're on time. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and that was a, um, a a milestone too, because um, from there I, I I really you know started considering the idea that I was going to do this for the rest of my life, and 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 I have since then. ¿Y tú ves alguna diferencia entre eh, la manera de hacer periodismo en México, por ejemplo, y la manera de hacer periodismo en Estados Unidos, o hay una manera de hacer periodismo y lo que pasa es que cada uno la cuenta en el idioma que habla? Bueno, el idioma sin duda cambia las cosas, ¿no? Bueno, eh, creo que el inglés es muy útil para hacer periodismo. Quien, para alguien como yo, que tiene un uso, un manejo limitado del buen castellano, a veces es más complicado contar una historia eh, en, en términos periodísticos que lo que es en inglés. Siento que en inglés, con una o dos palabras, estoy ahí, ¿no? Entonces, esta idea de, de, de lo conciso, lo claro, eh, me, se me facilita más en, en inglés. A veces escribir para mí es más fácil en inglés. Hacer tele en español me parece muy fácil también a mí porque trato de hacerlo más conversacional y, y, y fluye mejor. Eh, pero una buena historia, Guillermo, es una buena historia y es universal, ¿no? independientemente del idioma. Por eso a veces el cine es tan, tan, tan eh, noble en ese sentido. Podemos ver una película en, en un idioma que ni siquiera entendemos y aún así entender que es una gran historia. Eh, creo que el mejor periodismo trasciende el tema del idioma, aunque, por supuesto, depende del buen uso de, del lenguaje para para transmitir estos, estos conceptos. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, stories that are happening in Latin America that are just causing all kinds of uh, crisis there in Venezuela. We mentioned, you know, migration. One of the things that is behind all of that that affects all of us no matter where it is, uh, where we are, is climate change. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you've been covering that story how you think it needs to be covered for people to take action in time because we know from the recent report we've got a limited we've got a, t a clock running and it's like 12 years i mean there are a few exceptions but i think that overall we've failed miserably at covering the most important story of our generation 
Uh, people say, well, it's not interesting. Well, it's just people don't get the science. I think we haven't done a good enough job to cover this issue. Um, and, and it's not a, an issue that's going to affect us in the future. I think it's the story of today, and we're seeing it around the world. Um, somehow, I, I, I never planned for it, but I ended up covering every type of uh, natural, um, I, I wouldn't call it natural disaster because the disaster is probably human-made, but natural phenomenon there is to cover from tsunamis, earthquakes, uh, volcanic explosions, uh, wildfires, tornadoes, hurricanes, everything. And, and more and more, I see the, the devastating effects that um, a change in climate is having on, on the world population. Um, Lisa, to answer your question, I think it's a struggle in every newsroom. I think there are people who get it, who are trying to advance this agenda, who understand that this is, again, the most important story and issue of our generation. Um, younger people certainly understand that. In the case of Hispanics, um, there was a recent uh, Yale University study that says that Hispanics understand climate change, the impacts, the, the, the science of climate change better than the general population. They're more convinced, uh, more worried about it, and Spanish-speaking Latinos especially. And I think it has to do with the fact that they suffer the consequences I was say. more directly, mm -hmm. right? Their crops Part of what we're seeing with this Central American exodus has to do with collapsing crops in Central America. It's not often talked about. People refer to the violence. They talk about economic factors. But, um, you know... The, el precio se fue a la mierda. De el todo precio del café, por ejemplo. Sí, sí. Es un tema importantísimo que no se ha explorado suficiente para explicar esta crisis migratoria and climate change factors. So, um, you know, I, I hope... At Univision, we had an environmental unit. They canceled it after a while, and I, I, it's a shame. Um, they said, no, those stories are not that important. So I, I worked on, on, on a story about the Amazon myself called Paradise for Sale, and they were super reluctant of investing in the story, and we, we ended up winning an Emmy for it, hmm. something that Univision doesn't do that often. Hmm. I mean, wow. we're, Congratulations. You know, we're, we're, we're an award-winning uh, network, but every time we win one, I think it, it helps that argument that these stories are important and are universal. And, and, and it's, you know, it's a, a deep interest to our audience. But every, oh, sorry, go Perdón. ahead. Can I interrupt you, Perfecto? Please. <laughs> I mean, you bring up an important point almost. I about, would like to, no, just <laughs> <laughs> About your, your customer, in a way, is, of course, your audience who's watching your, your show or your shows. But it's also your executive who you're trying to get a budget from, right? So you're, you're basically saying you're, you have to make the case to your executives to give you a budget in order to do this, another Amazon-type story, right? Right. And, and, and uno pensaría que es suficiente con los argumentos editoriales para hacer la historia. Eh, y la mayor parte del tiempo es. El, el, el criterio noticioso es suficiente como para que se invierta en la cobertura de estos temas. Creo que el, el cambio climático en especial ha sido particularmente complicado por alguna razón. Creo que hay un, hay un gap generacional, es muy real. Y si ocurre en política y si ocurre en otros temas, ocurre también en las redacciones. Muchas veces los tomadores de decisiones están desconectados con esta realidad o no creen que es tan importante como realmente es. Eh, o, o bueno, también hay que tengo cierta empatía con el hecho de que ellos tienen que estar preocupados en bottom lines y budgets y dinero, y yo no. Mi trabajo es ser periodismo y creo que este es periodismo importante que hacer. Y solamente espero que esto cambie en el futuro y que todos nos eduquemos mejor sobre este reto tan importante que requiere de una solución, solución colectiva. 
sobre todo a nivel de políticas públicas. Sí, perdón, una pregunta para Don Interrupt me, por favor. Eh, Guillermo Fesser de la redacción. That's very polite of you, Guillermo. After interrupting the whole show, just like five minutes before, we were like raising his hand. Me dejaste muy preocupado porque has dicho que has cubierto desastres naturales, tsunamis, volcanes, como mío, tienes a tu madre como matada de disgustos. Y entonces la pregunta que quiero hacerte, claro, tú te vas de México a Estados Unidos, pero ¿cómo es eso de dejar la familia, el país todo detrás? Pues complicado, ¿no? Sobre todo porque México es un país que está pasando por circunstancias también muy complejas en temas relacionados con violencia. Y, y, y al mismo tiempo es importante porque, porque tienes ahí una raíz y un motivo de seguir atento y de seguir informado y de seguir trabajando para tratar de mejorar esa realidad. Yo, como todos los inmigrantes en este país, tengo todavía la esperanza de regresar algún día a, a mi casa y hacer una diferencia ya. Qué mejor que eso, ¿no? Estoy profundamente agradecido con Estados Unidos por haberme aceptado. I think, you know, my life is it's explained on both sides of the border, on both cultures, on both realities. And I really hope that there's a better understanding that this is not a, an exception. There are a lot of people who are part of this you know, bicultural reality. Eh, Yo me estoy emocionando, ¿eh? Y, 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 y sobre todo, mira, hay gente que... Le voy a dar un abrazo al técnico, porque sí. me estoy emocionando. No, y, 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 y lo, lo comentábamos con José, nuestro productor, ¿no? Que él es mucho más joven que yo y que él sí tiene que pasar por esta idea de... Yo voy a México y sigo teniendo México, que fue la mitad de mi vida. Y llego acá y sigo teniendo Estados Unidos, que fue la otra mitad. Para muchos de ellos, como José, eh, no son ni de aquí ni de allá. Y, y terminan siendo un poco ajenos. Es ya pasar a lo, a, lo, a lo idealista, pero ojalá y hubiera esta posibilidad también de pensar en América no como un país, no como un eslogan político, sino como una supranacionalidad, una supernacionalidad, perdón, eh, eh, en el que la gente realmente entendamos que es continental y que hay tanto en común en, en, en América que nos hace a todos eso ser un poco americanos. Por no supuesto, pero si hay copa de fútbol que gane Europa, ¿eh? <risa> <risa> de coña. Quería preguntar sobre la pulsera que tiene. Aquí. Ah, claro, sí, bueno, eh, mira, tengo una... Sí, es una pregunta muy buena. <risa> okay. Okay. Sí, eh, agradezco mucho esta pregunta. <risa> so it's a, um, una pulsera con with the colors of the Venezuelan flag. Okay. And um, even though I'm Mexican. No, I, uh, someone gave it to me in uh, during a recent uh, coverage of uh, the, the humanitarian crisis, crisis in, in Venezuela. And they made it with, I don't know, I don't know what it's made for. It's like like rubber or some, and, and they told me, you know, you guys only get to be here for a little while, but uh, please wear it and, and keep uh, remembering Venezuela in, uh, with everything you do. So I wear it every day, and, and every day that I do the newscast and I talk to people at the newscast, I say, we have to do a story about Venezuela. Let's not forget about Venezuela. And say, yeah. So, so it works. That's so nice. it works. So it's yeah. a magic. It's a magic bracelet. Yeah. And my kids try to, you know, uh, pull it away. Yeah. But, uh, but no, yeah, I've managed to, to keep it on, on my wrist. You've, you've interviewed so many Me? people. Not you. <laughs> 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 no. Well, all right. You guys too. But I'm talking to our esteemed guest, Enrique. Don't interrupt me, por favor. Okay. <laughs> And um, anyway, I'm just curious, what would you say are some of your experiences that have really stood out um, as a journalist? Um, and then the other question is, I want to know how you prepared for your interview with Barack Obama, because you really did pin him down on some acepta, pero normalmente es una pregunta por persona. I know, but I thought you might interrupt. Wow. I thought you would interrupt again, so okay, I went okay. for the double. Right. The no, double. Okay. For, so the first question... Um, I'll answer the Obama question first. Uh, there were two interviews with the, the former President Obama. And what I do is I usually try to watch other interviews for things that have nothing to do with uh, journalism. It's more of a style thing. So how much time do they give you? How much uh, time does the, the, the interviewee takes in answering the questions? Like in the case of Obama, he likes to explain things. He was like the educator in chief, right? Um, and, and he really likes to get into the context and the in-depth. 
So I knew that if they were giving me 12 minutes, I'd probably have like three or four questions stuck. Um, and so, so kind of pace yourself. You know you have to ask a question about you know, the reason why they're giving you the interview. The first one was in Cartagena, so the Summit of the Americas, things that, that are important to our audience, but also things that are important to a general audience because you want the interview to be to, 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 to pay people to pay attention to the interview beyond your your own uh, um, medium, right? So um, that's how I prepared for it. Um, and, and I wanted to ask them about race because the Trevor Martin case was um, was in the news uh, around the, the same time I interviewed him and I wanted to ask him about immigration from my perspective saying, you know, I lived with the promise of immigration reform throughout my life. And still, no one gets it done, Democrats or Republicans. Why is that? And, and would you be the, the one who gets it? Stuff like that. So, um, and, and, and other than that, um, it's always a privilege to interview heads of state and interview important people, decision makers, power brokers. But uh, the, the most important, the, the biggest privilege I've had in this uh, job for the past uh, 17 years, um, it's been just interviewing ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. And to witness the generosity and the 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 the, the, the compassion, the the kindness from from these people sharing their stories, in estos momentos tan extraordinarios y tan difíciles, es es, es realmente el privilegio del periodismo. ¿no? Alguien que ha perdido absolutamente todo, incluyendo familia, posesiones, materiales, todo, y que tenga la generosidad de compartir esa historia contigo, porque cree que es importante que alguien más lo sepa, porque quiere conectar con otros de esa forma. Ese es el mayor privilegio de lo que hacemos. Tenemos que marcharnos. Ahora sí, humanos, hay que decir adiós con la manita. Saludamos todos Chao, por la ventana. Gracias. gracias, muchísimas gracias. Enrique. Un privilegio Acevedo. haber estado aquí. La verdad es que un gusto conocerlos. El, el lunch antes del de, de programa. Salió carísimo, pero bueno. Salió carísimo. Es una inversión, es una inversión. <risa> Espero. Espero. Nos bueno, vemos. Nick, Lisa, Guillermo. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.